press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the Journalists of the Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Thursday, December 29. Greens leader Adam Bant has followed through on his party's promise to oppose compensation for coal-fired power stations affected by price caps. He'll push for the millions of dollars set aside for the generators to be given to Australians struggling to make ends meet as energy costs soar. It comes after it was revealed that a Queensland facility owned by Rio Tinto would receive close to half a billion dollars in compensation. End the trade bans and we'll drop the cases. That's the promise of Trade Minister Don Farrell. He signalled that the Albanese government is open to withdrawing two World Trade Organisation cases if China demonstrates goodwill and ends contentious trade bans on Australian goods like wine and barley. Farrell is expected to travel to Beijing as early as February and says he hopes to resolve the issues through discussion rather than arbitration. It was the epicentre of devastation. The Northern Rivers city of Lismore inundated by history-making floods more than once in 2022. But as the year draws to a close, many of those displaced by the disaster are still without a roof over their heads. In today's episode, how Lismore was left high and dry. Just the sheer desperation of the situation. Its magnitude is something like you've never seen before and I've said it many, many times and I'll say it again, this is not a flood event. This is an absolute catastrophe. It's a natural disaster of the highest order. And it's just the magnitude of the work that we've got to do as a community and with the help from every level of government to rebuild and get back on track. Almost a year after the Northern Rivers town of Lismore was swamped by the biggest flood in modern Australian history, thousands of residents are still displaced. But while they wait on the government's promised temporary housing to materialise, others are snapping up real estate on the floodplain. Christine Midap is an associate editor and chief writer with The Australian. She joins me now. Christine, you recently travelled to Lismore to meet with some of the people grappling with the fallout of February's terrifying floods. How are they faring? It's very mixed. It was a terrible event. It left many people homeless. And the New South Wales government responded by saying they would send 2,000 temporary accommodation pods, which are really modular homes, up to the Northern Rivers. But of course, Lismore was the epicentre of the disaster. And when I was up there a few weeks ago, only 53 of those pods had arrived. The figures are unclear, but maybe 400 to 1,000 people who were displaced from their homes, living in motel rooms, living in caravans, some people living as far away as the Sunshine Coast where they were being put up in motels. So this is almost 10 months on and there are still many people who are effectively homeless because they either don't have a home to go back to because the home was so badly damaged. A lot of people are carrying a mortgage on a home so they're still paying the mortgage and they just don't have enough money left over to then pay rent. And of course, this area is in the middle of this affordable housing crisis that we keep hearing about. So there aren't a lot of options. So I think the feeling I got was that for a lot of people up there, they were very stuck. They couldn't really move forward and they couldn't really move back. Their life was on hold, really, while everything gets sorted out. 
The New South Wales state government was heavily criticised for its delay in deploying emergency services when Lismore was first struck by that flooding in February. And now, as you've just said, only a fraction of those temporary housing pods have arrived in town. Why is that? Why is it taking so long? Part of the reason is in terms of getting the pods into the whole of the Northern Rivers region is obviously the weather. You know, it's been a very wet year. So the government is saying the weather really held them up. But the big problem in Lismore is that the state government or Resilience New South Wales had to find appropriate land on which to put these modular pods. Now, they found one spot of land which is at the Southern Cross University site and 53 pods have actually been built there, but they need a lot more. So the Resilience New South Wales went to the local council and said we'd like to build about 200 pods on Hepburn Park, which is a big sporting ground in Gunelabar, which is high off the floodplain. Now, this caused a big community outcry. And so suddenly you had this really nasty divide open up in the town, effectively between the people on the hill and the people down the hill. So everything got very complicated at that point. And a plan to actually just use a fraction of the grounds to put about 50 pods, which would have made a big difference, again was voted down. And so... I think a lot of the people I spoke to felt as if they are, in fact, flood victims, but they were sort of labelled, you know, criminals who weren't welcome on the higher ground. What are the other options for residents whose homes were destroyed by the floods? Are there other options? Well, so the Northern Rivers Reconstruction Corporation is up and running, and that seems to be a very effective group. They are looking at buybacks, so the state government will buy back properties that are at most risk. What we know is that this community has been hit time and time again. We can't keep doing the same thing again. We need to stop development on floodplains. So this is a program that's been worked out cooperatively between the Commonwealth and the New South Wales government with the support of local government and the communities here. It's a really important breakthrough, the largest program of its kind that we've ever seen in Australia. Of course, this is a floodplain. There is a plan in place to depopulate this area, to actually move homes out because it is too dangerous to live there. So people won't really know if they're eligible for that until probably the first quarter of next year. Some homes down there on the floodplain will be eligible to be raised further, but a lot of houses are already raised to a 1 in 100 year flood level, so I'm not sure how much more they can be raised. And then some houses can be retrofitted. So there is a plan in place, but Again, this is the wheels of bureaucracy turning and it just takes a very long time. And while this is all being sorted out, it just means that there are hundreds of people who are effectively homeless. I went into the 53 pods that exist in Lismore and they're really very good. I think once people get in there, they feel very settled there. So they can cook again, they've got their own space, they've got caseworkers and access to sort of help there. So it's a really effective solution. The problem in Lismore is that they cannot actually find any available land that's flood free to actually put any more pods. And that's where things have come to this grinding halt. It was really inspiring to see the Northern Rivers community band together to face this crisis. What impact is this ongoing housing situation having on them 10 months later? 
Well, I think that we all watched this disaster unfold back in February and everyone was struck by this incredible community effort. And I think what's happened now, because there's been this really nasty debate over the temporary pod village in Ganelabar, is that people feel as if they've pulled apart a bit, that that sort of level of support is not there. People are tired, you know, people are weary. Everyone's got to the end of their tether after a really hard year. So I just got the sense that even though there's a lot of love and support still in that community, that it was fracturing, that there was a divide that had opened up. Stay with us. After the break, Christine Midup takes us inside the Northern River's unexpected real estate boom. A troubled young woman her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Christine, while Lismore residents, as you said, are resorting to overpriced rentals, long distances outside of town and away from their work or schools, and many of them are still paying mortgages on those homes that were either partially or completely destroyed by the floods, others are snapping up properties on the floodplain. Tell me about that. So it turns out that real estate agents, opportunists and investors and first home buyers are seeing an opportunity to snap up a cheap property. So there are houses that are now being sold basically as empty shells. They've pretty well been gutted inside for about $150,000. You could spend about $70,000, $75,000 doing it up and then renting it out for $450,000, $550 a week. When I spoke to the local mayor about that, he said, well, we do have a housing crisis and opportunities Tunis are getting in while there's the chance. I spoke to the Northern Rivers Reconstruction Corporation head, Don Witherden, about that, and he said they really discourage people from moving back in because they don't want people living on the floodplain. That's the whole point of this whole plan to move people off the floodplain. But because it hasn't been rezoned or because the government is not actually buying up any properties at the moment, then the wheels of real estate can just turn and people can buy and sell, and that's exactly what's happening. Now, it's important to note that these people these buyers will not be eligible for any of the government sort of buyback scheme. And if their property is compulsory acquired, it will be at post-flood value. But they're really banking on things just going back to how they were. Insurers and banks are warning of a crucial window of opportunity to resurrect Lismore after devastating floods is in danger of closing. Andrew Hall and Anna Bly warned without government direction, residents and business owners will either leave the region or use insurance payouts and government grants to reinvest in areas which could later be considered uninhabitable. Most people displaced in February didn't have flood insurance and insurers have said they won't insure properties on the floodplain going forward. And the government, as you said, is working on that plan to move people out of the area. So how does this represent a sound investment when it's almost certain to happen again? Some people did have flood insurance and 
One of the real estate agents I spoke to said that people now buying on the floodplain are still getting flood insurance for as low as $4,000 a year. Now, I plugged that into a couple of the online search engines for insurance companies. The lowest I could see was about five or $6,000. But you still can get flood insurance. So I think people are just willing to take a bet on the fact it's not going to happen again, or certainly not in their lifetime. So that's what's sort of driving this. But the New South Wales government could turn around if it does happen again and say, look, we just can't keep bailing you out. And I think, you know, taxpayers might well start saying that as well. We just can't keep bailing out people who live in an area that is very dangerous. If you don't have anywhere else to go, what happens though? Where do you go? This is the problem. This is why they're sort of stuck in time in a way. And are the banks lending for purchases like these? Yes. So the banks are lending. So I've heard of first home buyers going in. I heard of obviously investors and owner occupiers. So there seems to be a range of people. And look, you're getting a house for $150,000. Well, there was a clear block of land in the floodplain that went for $90,000. So that sort of set your land value. Now, this is about half of what people would have got before the flood. So people are taking a real hit. But then as Don Witherden said, the problem is if people are selling now, they're probably losing out because if they sold once the buyback scheme was announced, their properties would have been valued at pre-flood value. So people could be missing out on hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to bail out now. Some people got insurance payouts and so they're just taking a little top up and just getting out. I think that's certainly true as well. But there's a real trap for people who are selling now because if they hang on a bit, they could actually do a lot better. With all of that said, does this unexpected real estate boom represent some relief for those property owners or is this disaster capitalism writ large? Well, look, certainly they are being accused of disaster capitalism. But, you know, the real estate agent I spoke to who bought the investment property says that he's taking the risk. Other people are saying, look, you are buying into a world of misery if you are renting on the floodplain and something like this happens again, because if it happens again, who knows what could happen? But again, we can say that high and dry, you know, in the middle of a cool summer. When people don't have anywhere to live and they're living in caravans and they're living in motels all over the country, then they don't have a lot of choice. Christine Midapp is an associate editor and chief writer with The Australian. You can read that story as well as all the nation's best news, sport and politics right now at theaustralian.com.au. I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthyish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthyish and Extra Healthyish wherever you get your podcasts.